Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Beyond Study Abroad, the official Notre Dame Study Abroad podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Peyton Davey. Today, we will be interviewing the Felicity Wong. Without further ado, let's hop right into this episode. Okay, Felicity. So first, would you like to give your indie introduction? Yeah, of course. Um, So my name is Felicity Wong. Um, I am originally from Princeton, New Jersey, but my whole family is from Hong Kong. Um, I used to live live in Lewis Hall on campus, but now I live off campus. Um, My majors are in English, and I have a supplementary art history major. Within the English major, I'm concentrating in creative writing, and I also have a minor in the philosophy, politics, economics program, Um, and I'm also in the Glenn Family Honors program. Nice. Okay. And where have you studied abroad? So fall of my junior year, I studied abroad um, at the University of East Anglia in Norwich, which is a city that is around two hours north of London by train. Okay. And why did you choose this program location? Yeah, I chose the program for several reasons. First, I knew that I wanted to be kind of outside the Notre Dame bubble. I think there are some really excellent study abroad programs throughout Europe. Um, but, you know, there, there are a lot of Notre Dame students at each of those locations. And I was kind of, kind of looking for an experience where I could be more independent um, and Norwich just how the program is designed um, is very much like that. I ended up going with just one other student from Notre Dame. So it was very much the two of us navigating um, that experience together. Um, I also, um, I'm concentrating in creative writing. knew that I wanted to get some good creative writing coursework under my belt. wanted to go to England because I'm an English major. I think that makes a lot of sense. Right. But specifically UEA, um, UEA's master's MFA, like creative writing program, is known to be one of the best in the world. And I knew, even though I wasn't going for a master's program, I'd have access to some of the professors and coursework um, there. And I was right. Like, I took one of the best creative writing workshops that I've ever taken in my life while I was at UEA. So, um, yeah, I, I'm really glad that I that I chose to go, even though I think the experience might look different from what a lot of other Notre Dame students um, are undertaking. Right. And since you kind of piggybacking on what you said about the experience looking different, can you kind of explain or go in depth as to like exactly how that experience looked different or some things that you experienced while studying abroad? Yeah. Um, so London, for example, which is the other Notre Dame study abroad program, um, one of them in the UK, um, is in this like building in the center of London and you're surrounded by like 200 other Notre Dame students. Um, and then a lot of the peers, a lot of my friends who were in the London program that I spoke to said that they never had the chance to actually interact with a British person. Obviously, they were traveling throughout um, throughout London, exploring the city, but they weren't interacting with um, with British citizens or, you know, London's a highly international city. And even then, they were kind of only interacting with, you know, other Notre Dame students at the University of East Anglia. In contrast, um, my Notre Dame um the other Notre Dame student who was there with me, we were both placed in a flat um, with around 10 other British students. Um, One of them, I think, yeah, one of them was international. He was from Japan, Um, but I got to live in community with them, 
um, we lived in the hallway and we would like cook dinners together and explore the city together. Um, so I think that's a very unique experience and I have formed very valuable, like meaningful friendships. Um, yeah, I also think that there's just something to be said about Norwich, um, just the city itself. It's not super big. Um, people say that it's kind of a sleepy church town. Um, and I think that I, I really, I was, I was, I think I was apprehensive at first about going to a smaller city since, you know, I love, I'm very extroverted, love doing things, love seeing everything. Um, but Norwich is just such a gem. It is not as fast paced. You can kind of explore, take, take a weekend or two, like walk through galleries, visit the shops, visit all the historical sites. Um, it's not overwhelming. And I think there's just something super yeah, unique about that kind of study abroad location as opposed to other locations in larger cities, which, you know, have their own value, but, you know, just aren't the same. Okay. And you mentioned that it was a small city. So did you have any like preconceived notions prior to going? I don't think I had any specific preconceived notions that were challenged. Um, I, I guess I just didn't really know what to expect. I knew that it was a smaller, a smaller city. I knew that it was very British. I guess I was surprised by um, what was surrounding Norwich. I think most people, when they think England, just think London and aren't very familiar with all the different kinds of landscapes that the UK has to offer. So for example, Norwich is actually really close to the beach. We're just around 45 minutes from Cromer Beach. Um, not we, I guess the University of East Anglia is. And um, it's it was cool like being able to have access to forests and to beaches nearby. What surprised you the most during your experience? Or if there were any like surprises or maybe things that stuck out, things that still kind of stick with you now? I think the British, uh, the experience of being in a British university is just so different from that of an American university. And I, um, I think there are definitely pros and cons and, you know, it was a bit of a, an adjustment going there. British universities don't really require, at least in the courses that I, were, I, I was taking, don't really require attendance. Your grade is uh, 100% of your grade is based on like a final paper or exam that you take. Um, the contact hours are a lot less. I think there's more focus on independent exploration um, and independent research, which is again has its advantages and disadvantages compared to you know what students might be used to at Notre Dame right um I think the campus is just very different um it's a lot of brutalist architecture which again is complete opposite from Notre Dame um I would say that the campus is not structured around community um and so I had to kind of learn how to seek that out or um, navigate that myself because, you know, at Notre Dame, it's so easy to just walk into a common room and there are tons of people there. In the dining hall, you're surrounded constantly with people. You don't have a choice. Whereas at UEA, you definitely have that choice. And so, like, learning, I, I think I learned a lot about myself and what I valued when it comes to community um, while I was there. And you kind of go into like learning more about yourself and then also comparing the differences from like to Notre Dame. So what would be like the overall highlight of your experience? Or like what was your main takeaway when you studied abroad? Ooh, that's also a good question. Is this kind of a general like? 
Um, you can make it general or sometimes you, like if you want like one specific detail that just really kind of stuck with you, that's fine too. Yeah, um, I think I, I think, I mean, this is a cliched answer. I think I learned how to be more independent while I was abroad. And I think because UBA, at UBA, um, you kind of have to be independent, you know, you're not put into a space where there's just tons of people who are going to ask you questions or um, automatically care about you. Um, I had to learn how to like make friends, establish those connections. I just became a lot sh more sure of myself in my identity as a creative writer while I was there because the quality of that workshop was just so simultaneously affirming and challenging, challenging a lot of beliefs that I had about the craft and affirming me and, um, you know, helping me realize that like, this is what I, this is what I'm passionate about is creative writing. Um, and I had to walk that path very much by myself um, because there wasn't necessarily a lot of friends that I had already there who were there to, you know, hold my hand through that. Um, so I think I, I think I became very independent and obviously there's no way of predicting that, or, you know, you don't start off at the beginning of your study abroad experience saying, Oh, I, I'm going to be independent. I'm going to navigate this new era for myself. But I think being open to the possibility of that and like being open to experiences that you may not be used to, um, things that you in your head might not like and just be like, you know, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to figure it out. Um, is there anything kind of going on the values of independence that you said you learned, but what things do you apply or what values or lessons that you learn from studying abroad do you apply to being a student now? Yeah, I mean, almost everything that I that I do as a student is quite independent. Um, for example, I'm writing a novel um, for my senior thesis, um, and I I traveled to India also last summer, this past summer, on a grant from the Glenn Family Honors Program. That whole <laughs> that whole trip um, was all about being independent. I was. Traveling, traveling alone to a country where um, most people, you know, would highly advise against, you know, a young woman traveling alone. Um, so I learned a lot of lessons there. And I mean, that my experiences in India are super integral to the project that I'm working on now, which writing a novel in and of itself is quite an independent experience, I think. Obviously, you are put in spaces, I have the privilege to be in a place like Notre Dame where I can participate in workshops and um, have access to like world-class instructors and writers. But a lot of that is, you know, all of that comes from my own passion. Um, I do feel like my kind of interests, which lie at the intersection between fashion studies and textiles history and art criticism are quite unique. Um, I oftentimes feel like I don't have the support that someone's studying economics or I know Notre Dame's philosophy and theology department is really strong. Their Latino studies department is really strong. Um, that is not the same for the kinds of disciplines that I'm looking at. And again, I have the privilege to access these amazing professors and courses who, and they, they do everything to help me, but it's just the nature of those kinds of programs at Notre Dame are like not as strong. And a lot of times I question why I'm pursuing something that I don't feel a lot of support in. I, you know, there's not a clear career trajectory for someone who's interested in those kinds of things. 
and I kind of um, I have to imagine like use my imagination what can I what can I do with those things and you know set goals and yeah like walk that path in a lot of ways myself so I think I think the independence um, the lessons and independence that I learned while I was abroad do carry me through through this path that I'm walking on now okay and you mentioned India and receiving a grant, which is super amazing. So could you kind of go into your experience of going mm-hmm. to India and kind of, like you said, with the notions that come with being a young woman traveling alone? So can you kind of share your experience? Yeah, um, it was amazing. Um, I will say if, and I, um, dis- this is like the disclaimer that I give to other people who might be interested, other people like me who are interested in traveling to India, other women, um, it's doable if you have the resources, but I wouldn't, if, if you have the opportunity to travel with someone, I would travel with someone. Um, I can kind of start from the beginning um, of how I even ended up in India in the first place. I knew that I wanted to write a novel. I knew that I wanted to travel internationally. My interests in, as an English major in literature, kind of lie in this realm of diasporic studies, post-colonial immigrant literature, my whole family is from Hong Kong. Um, it's a very important part of me. And that's, I think that's uh, apparent in the kinds of books that I read and the literature that I'm interested in understanding better. Yeah, so I knew I wanted to write the novel and I wanted to go internationally. And I also knew that I had um, a grant that I had access to through the honors program that I'm in. I also knew that I was interested in fashion, didn't really know how I wanted to incorporate that into my novel. Um, But I, the reason that I decided to go to India was because I um, got dinner with a friend one day and she had previously interned in Delhi. Um, I think with some United Nations sort of organization, not super sure. We were just catching up. We were just catching up and I was kind of telling her about how I was really stressed. I knew I had to put my proposal together. Um, I knew I wanted to do all these different things, had no idea where I wanted to go, had no idea where I'd even begin to, you know, plan this trip, um, didn't know what resources that I really had. And she asked me, like, have you thought about going to India? And I was like, I, no, like, not at all, actually. I've been looking at Tokyo, which is an amazing city if you're interested in fashion. I've been looking at Melbourne, too, in Australia, but didn't really have any leads. She gave me the contact of um, D. Raj Mera, who was the head of the Mumbai Global Center. I set up a meeting with him, found out that he had a niece who had worked at Vogue India previously. His whole family um, has a lot of connections in textiles um, in India. I was like, this is actually perfect. Right. <laughs> it's actually crazy. And he is awesome, so awesome immediately was just super proactive about um setting me up with like travel agencies to plan my trip gave me all the information that I needed to know about booking flights booking hotels um figuring out the like, what dates would be good where to go he connected me with different contacts in the industry um and so I started slowly just putting that trip together and even now as I'm writing a novel like I don't I don't really know what my novel is going to be about. Like I am putting the pieces together. I have an idea of characters of the setting and everything, but ultimately a huge feeling that I have is like, I don't really know what I'm doing. And I felt that while I was planning my trip to go to India, I didn't really know what I was doing. Knew that I had all of these kind of kinds of interests and questions. 
But with the help of a lot of people, um, Diraj especially, um, I put this trip together and I traveled to um, India, I think, yes, second half of May. Um, so the itinerary that I had planned for myself was to start off with a few days in Delhi, just to get my bearings to visit a lot of the cultural sites and such, um, galleries, that kind of thing. Knew that I wanted to see the Taj Mahal. So then I um, worked with a travel agency to drive to Taj Mahal for um, just one night. And then from Agra, which is the city that the Taj Mahal is in, went to Jaipur, which is such a lovely city. Um, and I would spend a few days in Jaipur talking to, obviously touring, seeing everything, but also had a few contacts that Diraj had set me up with in Jaipur that I ended up talking to. And then I would go back to Delhi for the remainder, remaining leg of my trip. And I think there was someone through the GPE program. Um, she was in, she was actually going to be in Delhi for six weeks. Um, and she was just starting her time there. So we had that tiny, like three or four day window of an overlap. So I was like, I knew I wanted to be back in Delhi to hang out with her and explore together with someone. Right. So, um, that was what I, that was what I did while I was in Delhi. The first few days I settled in, visited, um, art galleries, um, different cultural sites, the Red Fort. I had one contact, she's through a family friend there in Delhi. So I got dinner with her one night and I drove to Agra for one night, saw the Taj Mahal, um, did all the tours, everything. It was, it was it was just like so insane. Like I didn't even feel like it was being real. I just thought about like standing in front of the Taj Mahal and seeing all the tourists and everything and just, wow. Yeah. And then I, I went to Jaipur. That was when I, where I had some of the most interesting conversations during my trip. I connected with a textile technologist um, who allowed me to tour this really cool like water plant site. Um, it's this huge pool of water. Lots it, it's very, it's very um, much like technology heavy. That's not really where my interest in art history comes in, but it was still cool to see a place, um, see all the different block printing companies that were utilizing this water. Um, because sustainability is just a huge problem slash issue that people in India are thinking about, people involved in the craft, fashion, textiles communities, they're actively thinking about. Talk to a wedding stylist um, and a two designers, one luxury, one who had just kind of started her own contemporary um, e-commerce brand. Just had a lot of important conversations about the value of handicraft over having something over slow fashion, like some something that is labored over in love. I talked to them about the Dior show in Mumbai and all the kinds of implications, both cultural, ethical, economic for um, having the international fashion scene, you know, center itself in Mumbai, even if it's just for one show or just a few shows. Um, Jaipur is a beautiful city. This It's called the Pink City. Um, it's mountainous. It's beautiful. Then, yeah, when I came back, went back to Delhi, that's kind of when, it's kind of when, um, I won't say it's a catastrophe, but my flight back home did get canceled. Um, and I also... <laughs> On the last two days that I was there, I got like contracted like a hundred and two degree fever. Mm -hmm. I was all alone in my hotel room. Um, so there were some insane highs, but there were also some very low lows. Luckily, luckily, um, I everything worked out. It was fine. I 
had my budget that I was working with. So I was able to get, you know, one more night at the hotel. The flight was canceled, but then it was rescheduled just for like another day out. I was able, with the help of Diraj and um, Rachel, the Notre Dame student who was there, just, you know, I got better, flew back home. Um, and yeah, I think there's no one key main takeaway. I think I have been reflecting on that trip even even now, like five months later, I am always thinking about that trip. I would say practically outside, ind independent of my novel writing and my research and all of that, um, I learned so much about sol solo traveling as a woman. Um, always wear sunglasses when you're walking around. Um, I definitely learned how to protect my space. I was approached multiple times um, in in a way that seemed threatening. Like I genuinely was fearful. Um, people are constantly trying to trick me. <laughs> um, like while you're walking, especially in places where there are a lot of shops and stuff, people will um, try to yeah scam you and that kind of thing. And, you know, you have to, it's really important, I think, to think about the balance between you're in a country that is, you know, there's so much food and culture and people, you are a guest in that place. Um, and so you have to be respectful simultaneously, <laughs> you know, when your life might be at risk, when you are um, approached in a way that is threatening, you also have to, you know, stand your ground and learn and figure out how to act in a way that, you know, prioritize your safety first. And so I think there's a fine line between those two things. And it looks different for every country, any even any particular situation, um, there's a lot of nuance. And I think um, I, yeah, like really learned how to navigate, navigate that. Um, I guess in terms of my novel and my research and all of that, I'm working on it now, working on my novel in my thesis writing workshop, submitting excerpts. Um, I am, I, I use a lot of the notes that I took while I was in museums, in conversations, in my writing now, little lines that people say that inspire thoughts about sustainability and what does it mean to live in a late capitalist society? Um, how can clothing tell us more? Like, what are the stories that are encoded in clothing? How can clothing reveal truths about a person's character or um, topographies like relationships or places. A, a lot of those questions I've been thinking through in my novel writing and going to India, being there, just observing and learning and taking part, um, like just living there, even for it was, even though it was a very short while, um, has been, yeah, super important to that process. And then I guess in terms of future plans, so. I came back from India for around a month and I was like, I did not spend nearly as much time as I would have wanted to there. I knew I wanted to go back. So I actually just submitted my Fulbright application, my Fulbright research application um, to go back to India for a year. And that's very much in the field of art history and fashion and textiles history in particular. I actually launched myself into this whole process of connecting with scholars at Indian universities, um, independent artists, just this building this like immense network of um, 
people who both study um, Indian craft, fashion and textiles, and then practitioners of it as well. So my that research project, that research proposal um, is centered around textile craft revival movements. So there are these clusters in Gujarat, in Meshwar, um, a project that's based in Hyderabad, um, which are all looking to preserve and revive these textile production techniques and traditions that have been alive for thousands of years. Um, and I'm currently working on another fellowship, um, the Loose Fellowship, to go back to somewhere in Asia to further engage with this, these ideas of post-colonial coniality, post-coloniality and fashion. Um, just trying to figure out what's at stake in the space of global fashion and textiles um, and being based somewhere in India, or sorry, somewhere in Asia, maybe in India or other parts of South Asia um, would just be a dream. So that's kind of what I'm looking towards. I obviously have no idea whether that's going to be a reality or not, but my, my trip to India definitely inspired and have shaped a lot of my postgraduate plans. Best of luck for your application. Thank you. Um, okay, so you kind of mentioned, of course, being alone in India, how scary that can be and how you had to learn a lot of like, you know, personal protection methods and skills when you're going throughout India. Um, you mentioned kind of having a few amount of contacts, but overall kind of being close to the alone side. How does all of that contribute like to your mental health as you're like traveling as well mm. that's a great question I definitely did not know what I was getting myself into like I I had read a lot of things been told like honestly the, the number one thing that I had been told prior to taking on the trip was like to not go because it was just not safe um and I I'm not a fan of how binary it's like it's not like india is just you know don't go or go i think there are again a lot of complexities and like navigating that and i will reiterate the fact that like if you can go to as a woman if you can go to india with someone you should um it helps just a lot i think um honestly i thought i thought it was very a very overall like empowering experience um i had for example like one the first time that I felt actually really scared was when I was walking around Connaught Place in Delhi, which is an incredibly busy kind of shopping center. Um, many, it, it's just structurally the way that it's planned out is super complicated. I was alone. Um, I did not know how hectic it would be. So I, it was just a surprise to me as well. And I was approached not once, but twice by these businessmen I think who had just decided to randomly come up to me on the street and they started walking and talking with me um trying to then they were trying to get me to go with them to another part um an, another part of the market or something and it it was obviously it wasn't like my physical um my physical safety was jeopardized in the moment but I, I had no idea what was going on I didn't know that if I had broken away they would probably follow me um it was a terrifying experience. I luckily was, I took the risk, I think, of being very assertive, which I had was already nervous about. Like in those situations, it's a lot harder to just, when people say, just tell them to go away. But, you know, you don't know what the repercussions of that are. Took that risk. They thankfully um, left me alone. But 
and this was just kind of the start of my day, I realized that was very mentally taxing. I was going to go back to my hotel room and stay in my room for the rest of the day to kind of recuperate. And obviously, I had to sacrifice parts of my itinerary. Um, but I knew that that was just something that I had to do because I was just so overwhelmed by that interaction. And, you know, I just I just went back home and I rested. And then I, um, I remember that night I got dinner with that family friend contact. She had been living um, in Delhi with her husband for a year. But, you know, she gave me a lot of advice leading up to the trip about how to navigate Delhi um, alone as a woman. And she very much said that, like, the way that I acted was the right thing to do um, and that it is important to kind of protect your peace. Right. Um, and then I think as I kind of, I gained more confidence throughout the trip. I had like little like tips and like I, I knew what to do. I, I learned to rely a lot, so much on my private driver, which I would say is the most, was the most essential to my safety there, um, was having the privilege to afford a private driver who would drive me from location to location. And I was very lucky to be connected with a taxi driver who um, had like, he had been the driver that that family friend had been using for a decade. So there was a like strong relationship of trust built. And I knew that he was looking out for me. Um, and from then on, I would ask him to like wait for me in specific locations or to watch me while I walked around a certain place or talk to someone. Um, and yeah, I, I, I learned to walk fast, to walk confidently when you're on the street, when you're walking fast and confidently, people are less likely to stop and talk to you. Um, people are going to constantly trail you or like walk behind you or walk with you and you just have to completely ignore everything they're saying, even though that is very much against my nature. I feel very rude when I'm doing it, but in that context, that's you know what you have to do. Um, again, wearing sunglasses. I When I like realized, <laughs> when I realized how many problems that would solve in terms of, you know, you get a lot of stares and a lot of them are threatening and inappropriate, especially because I don't look like anyone else that's around me having sunglasses on so that you are, you can, you can see everything around you, but you don't make eye contact with people, which is oftentimes what I think escalates a threatening stare. Um, that's another thing that I learned and just figuring all these things out made me a lot more confident. And made me realize that if I can, if I'm capable of putting together a trip, solo traveling to a country that, frankly, you know, it is not safe to be a woman in India. Um, if I can do that, I can take on a lot of other things, too. And it's it's not necessarily one key way in which, you know, I figured out how to be safe or I figured out how to be confident. It's more so the ability to piece those things together, to utilize my resources in the best way possible, to learn to rely on people who are giving me advice about things. Okay. And do you have any advice for students that may have passion when it comes to fashion or art history or writing a novel and creative writing? What would be like your advice? I mean, it's, I mean, like I'm a senior. And so like, I am always just thinking about <clears throat> my journey throughout the other day. And like, I started off as a philosophy major didn't like that, took on English. I was like, oh, I really love creative writing. Then I added art history on and I've, I feel like I've walked a kind of unconventional path academically at Notre Dame. I think my advice is to just broadly, like don't make concessions for what you're passionate about. 
it can be very daunting to know that you don't necessarily have coursework that touches on the topics that you're interested in or professors or faculty. Like there's no one really in Notre Dame who is interested in my specific research interests. Um, that can be daunting. I don't really know what I'm doing after graduation. And, you know, when you're passionate about writing a novel or when you're passionate about fashion, creation, all of that, not knowing what you're doing after graduation is a deterrent, honestly, for a lot of people when deciding what they want to study and do with their college career. And I would say, don't let that deter you. Don't make concessions for what you care about. Um, I think this is a piece of advice that is given quite often, but it's like network. Not, I think networking is used oftentimes in like a business recruitment kind of job hunt kind of setting. I'm, and I mean the the principle is the same in that you want to reach out to as many people as possible because um, you never know who a professor might know or one of the most helpful people um, in the compilation of my proposal to Fulbright was the artist friend of a professor who I reached out to because of Giraj, who I connected with because I got dinner with a friend who had just happened to be in India like two summers ago. So it's really just about knowing someone and there's no directory for this kind of thing. You just kind of have to you know, talk to as many people as you can and utilize those resources. Yeah, I think, I think it can be defeating. Um, like I, the art history department at Notre Dame is not nearly as expansive and big as I would like. The kinds of coursework that is offered, while very high quality, doesn't touch on really any of the topics in art history that I'm interested in. Um, and so that could be discouraging. But at the end of the day, I know that it's, even though that's a truth, that is not a reason for me not to pursue it. Mentally, I think, knowing that, having the confidence to like make that work for myself um, and just being open to that journey where you where you will reach that point. Um, I will plug the Notre Dame Institute for Advanced Study. It's been a huge part of my academic journey here. Um, I love them because they care a lot about niche interdisciplinary things. And I feel like niche and inter interdisciplinary are two words that resonate with me a lot when it comes to thinking about what I'm interested in. I They, they just do so many cool things. Um, I know they hosted a class, Pete Buttigieg, that I was a part of my freshman year. So I got to meet and talk to Pete Buttigieg. <clears throat> That's not fashion. But last semester, they hosted a pop-up course with fashion designer Tom Brown, who is a Notre Dame alum. And I had the chance to go to New York Fashion Week with um, 13 other classmates. That's an opportunity that I will probably never experience. Maybe, fingers crossed, who knows. Right. But that's just kind of a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And the Notre Dame Institute for Advanced Study is capable of making things like that happen. Right. Um, so I would definitely keep an eye out for classes that they're hosting, whatever fellowships they might have. Um, I think that institute really cares about cultivating niche interdisciplinary interests. Um, and they've played a big role in helping me get to where I am today. Um, yeah, I will, I'll, I will always say this too, like the world does not need more senior VPs or executive directors. Those people do very important things and there will always be people who um, will fill those roles, but the world definitely needs more artists and people who are just thinking critically and originally about art and fashion and culture. And a lot of the society that we live in will tell you that those things don't matter, but they do. 
um, they are some of the most fundamental parts of what it means to be a human. And so um, it is scary, but like, if you are interested in those things, you should keep studying them. Sure, for sure. Well, thank you so much. Um, this yeah, was of course. So informative. Um, and if there's not anything else that you'd like to add, I just thank you for your time in doing this interview. Well, that's a wrap for this interview with Felicity. Thank you for listening, and we can't wait to see you in the next episode. Bye for now.